0: The effect of all this eulogy and panegyric, laid on so thickly and with such a large brush, is to obscure the truth, to cover up the faults, the shortcomings, the really malignant nature of the man himself. He is presented to us as the mighty conqueror, the incomparable statesman, the far-seeing, large-minded administrator. We hear of his unerring generalship, his masterly manipulation of his fellow men from kings to conscripts, of his capacious brain in which details innumerable were stored ready for immediate use, of his kindly winning smile, his unfailing generosity to ungrateful relatives, everything in short to his credit, nothing of his crimes. For if he was a great genius, the greatest perhaps the world has seen, he was also one of the greatest criminals. It may seem to pass the bounds of historical criticism to call him a murderer, a brigand, and a thief, yet the indictment can be maintained that he was all these, and on the largest scale. He sent men wholesale to their deaths. A couple of million Frenchmen, as many more of other races, allies, or enemies, were butchered to create, maintain, or defend his power. He remorselessly slew the Duke d'Anguin to secure his hold of the throne. He began his robberies in his first Italian campaign. After the spoliation of specie and cash, he stole territories and crowns. He was a scourge to Europe. His path was bloodshed and rapine, as devastating as the cholera or the black death. And all this was for personal aggrandizement, the gratification of his greed and lust of power. Of his insatiable hunger for conquest, his cravings for military renown. He was no patriot. He had no country of his own. Since Corsica had discarded him, he fought for his own hand, not for France. And France, which he had raised for a short space to a pinnacle of great glory, he left torn and bleeding, depopulated, impoverished, saved only from dismemberment by the generous championship of Wellington. This is the truer estimate of one who was, under some aspects, a devil incarnate, a monster in human form, as he has been described in the pages of 10, L'Enfray, Seely, and a few more. This is the judicial view, calm and dispassionate, based on the plain evidence of acts and conduct, rising superior to sentiment. 10 explains Napoleon as a 15th century survival a throwback to another race in an earlier epoch. He is a freak of nature, reproducing the great Italian tyrants, the all-powerful Condottieri, the soldiers of fortune who, striking out boldly at great stakes, raised themselves to thrones or perished in the attempt. Napoleon was one by inheritance, an Italian of clear, straight descent, a child of the land that produced the sforza the Vicontes, the Borgias, a posthumous brother of Dante and Michelangelo, ranking with them in mental qualities. His genius, says Tan, is of the same stature, the same structure. He is one of the three sovereign minds of the Italian Renaissance, except that while the two first work on paper or marble, the last operates on the living being, on the sensitive suffering flesh of humanity. It is this which constitutes Napoleon an evil doer. Crime has been well defined as a refusal to abide by rules that men, for their general protection, agree to call binding. Napoleon accepted no such obligation. He set all such rules at defiance. His arrogant, all-embracing egoism was above the law. The eternal ego, the limitless selfishness, cold-blooded and calculating, that gathered in everything to his support, needed in his opinion no explanation or justification. We may accept Thames as a psychological explanation. Napoleon's extraordinary gifts were no doubt congenital. First and last he was an Italian. It was to be seen in his features, in his accent, in his ways. the fine face with its clear-cut classical profile, The rich lips, the strong, well-modelled chin, reproduced the best type of the Italian antique. He talked French with the accent of a foreigner, more Corsican than Italian, for in the language of his ancestors he was never perfectly fluent. His manners, his gestures, were Italian. His fierce explosions of rage, often purposely assumed by this most consummate actor of any part, the torrents of his talk when roused, objugatory, persuasive, poetic, with all the powers of the improvisator. All these were traits of the impassioned South. We must seek beyond atavism and heredity for the secret of Napoleon's marvellous development. The miracle of his rise to power lies not so much in his personality as in the time. He was really the product of his epoch but for the milieu in which he was planted, his vast genius would never have properly expanded. He found his opportunity in the state of France after the revolution. He came to the surface after a tremendous upheaval, which had torn up and dislocated all old institutions. They were lying there, ready to be pieced together by the master hand, whether for the national advantage or for his own ends. The weapon too, was already fashioned for the craftsman. When France, having aroused the antagonism of all Europe, unanimously flew to arms in her own defence, she laid the foundation of her own enslavement by the first unscrupulous soldier that dared to wield the sword. It must never be forgotten that Napoleon did not create the situation that eventually gave him his supremacy. It already existed before he came to the front. More, Under different circumstances, had fate so ruled, its advantages, with its tremendous results, might have been snatched at by some other soldier of the Republic. But for the luck that stood by Bonaparte in his early years, the chance that he escaped the English cruisers in the Mediterranean on his return from Egypt, the miscarriage of Kleber's letter that warned the Directory against the coming conspiracy, the death of Hosh, so premature yet so fortunate for his rival that the almost impossible theory has been started that Bonaparte had had him poisoned. But for those happy accidents, some other military adventurer would probably, inevitably, have become master of France. Moreau, Bernadotte, say Masséna, and many more were capable of winning great victories. Supreme power lay within the grasp of any successful soldier we may go further and wonder whether a smaller man would not have been a greater benefactor to France. A lesser ambition would have been contented with less showy but still sufficiently solid achievements. The immensity of Napoleon's genius, the fever of his restless, far-reaching mind, were as mischievous to his country as they proved disastrous to himself. That there is no exaggeration in this severe judgment of Napoleon, it may be pointed out that he formed much the same opinion of himself. Despite the powers of his imagination, his constant habit of taking things as he wished them to be, and not as they were, he had no illusions about himself. He once roundly confessed that he believed it would have been better for the whole world if neither he nor Rousseau had ever lived. Again, when one of his most devoted adherents enlarged upon the regrets that would be felt at his death, Napoleon corrected him, not at all, and drawing in his breath, as with a sense of infinite relief, he said, they'll cry, oof, we are well rid of him. He never tried to deceive himself as to his real aims. He meant to be master, an autocrat, universal, and omnipotent. Yet he had no confidence in the stability of his power, the abiding permanence of his rule. It will last just as long as I do. After me, my son may deem himself fortunate if he has 40,000 francs a year. He deeply pitied his poor, weak little son at the weight of the troubles he would bequeath him. Napoleon Bonaparte was born, according to the official registers, on August the 15th, 1769. Some doubt has been cast upon the accuracy of this date, but if we accept it, we must believe also that Napoleon narrowly escaped being born an Englishman, a strange circumstance upon which but little stress has been laid hitherto. This date has been called in question. It has been said that Napoleon was really the eldest son and Joseph the second that the Corsican registers had been tampered with in order to allow Charles Bonaparte, the father, to accept the nomination at Brienne for the child most fitted for a military career. Napoleon is said to have himself hinted that he was born in 1768, but the other is the date recorded in history. It is that on which the emperor's birthday was kept, on his own authority, the day on which he assured Brienne, when they were at school together, that he was born. The later year has, therefore, the strongest evidence to support it, and it supports the curious theory, just advanced, that he might have been an Englishman. Charles Bonaparte had been the friend and favourite aide-de-camp of Paoli, and when Corsica submitted to France in 1769, the disappointed patriot urged the young man to accompany him into exile. Napoleon, in after years, was of opinion that his father should have done so. He went further and declared that he would never forgive his father for his desertion of Paoli. Paoli withdrew to England, where other Corsicans followed him. Their children were born in this country, educated here, naturalized here, lived and died here. One, Count Riverola, served as an officer in the English army. Can imagination take a wilder flight than in picturing Napoleon with the king's commission his military talents shut down in the regimental ranks, for he would have lacked the influence and family connections that were in those days indispensable for advancement in the English army. He would have been an old subaltern, at most a captain in some marching regiment, serving perhaps under Field Marshal the Marquis of Wellington in the invasion of France. Or say that he had thrown himself into some other career that he had been foiled in his natural bent towards the profession of arms, which has been not unreasonably attributed to his mother's sharing the father's military adventures, where and to what heights would his energies have carried him? Would he have gone east or west, to the old world or the new, as explorer, colonizer, or pioneer of English progress? Would he have forced fortune to yield him a prize in other lines, in literature, in which he showed a fine quality, in finance, utilizing his genius for figures, at the bar, where he might have made his mark as an impassioned advocate. These speculations may be unprofitable, but they are somewhat fascinating. It is deeply interesting to consider how nearly Napoleon became a child of the country he afterwards viewed with such persistent and implacable hatred. Hatred which, after all, was neither causeless nor unreasoning. England, it must be remembered, alone defied and defeated him. It was England that shattered his dream of an eastern empire. English ships that broke his naval power. English subsidies that kept continental armies in the field against him. An English general of sepoys first sapped the fabric of his military power. In a word, it was English resistance, English victories over his hitherto invincible troops that first weighted his soaring wings. English means that dragged him down and completed his overthrow. It was England that flouted and humiliated him most ungenerously, leaving him, the chained and drooping eagle, to eat out his heart on the lonely rock of St. Helena. Authentic accounts of the early years of great men seldom survive. Stories told of them are likely to be apocryphal, manufactured in afterlife, the exaggerations of either sycophants or detractors. We have no very clear knowledge of the young Napoleon. He appears to have exhibited no great precocity. If Madame Junot is to be believed, he once nobly shielded a small sister from the consequences of her misconduct. The theft of fruit from their uncle, the canon. He bore the blame and took the punishment. He shut up in a cupboard for three days on starvation diet of bread and cheese, and neither protested nor cried. He was a sturdy child. He might be whipped and would shed tears, but he would never beg pardon. His nurse, Saveria, whom he afterwards loaded with gifts and remembered in his will, said that of the thirteen Bonaparte